Tacoma, Japan, I'm Frank Ling. And from Chicago, Illinois, I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's show, hearts and alcohol. In addition, we're joined by Dr. Jeffrey Brantley, who will discuss five good minutes in your body. So stay tuned for all this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And the world-famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here on the Grok's Science Show. I'm Franklin. And I guess that makes me Charles Lee. How are you doing, Frank? Pretty hungry, actually. <laughs> Don't they feed you in Japan? Portions are a little bit smaller here. Uh, so... Of course, we're also slimmer, but this hungrier. Healthier. Indeed. So how did you celebrate your 4th of July? I had the Hungry Man dinner for one, and I had like my lone sparkler that I used as fireworks. <laughs> oh, okay. So you're celebrating freedom after all. <laughs> Everybody loves to have a little bit of freedom. <laughs> oh, okay. I had a burger. There's a little alley in Yokosuka, which is where the Navy base is. Right now, they're having a special called the uh, Yokosuka Navy Burger in celebration of the Navy base. They claim to use 100% American beef patties there. Well, good for them. God bless America. <laughs> God bless America. The beacon of freedom, man. So, do you have any uh, drinks to go with your, uh, your Hungry Man meal? <laughs> uh, you know, just like the 50 shots of bourbon I use to cry myself to sleep. <laughs> so, this means you must be lacking uh, certain hormones. Apparently, new research is showing that there's a hunger hormone, ghrelin, which mediates your appetite for alcohol. So if you have uh, more of this, you have less of an appetite? So if you have more of this hormone, it induces hunger, but it looks like at the same time, if you have less of it, your brain doesn't seem to get the same amount of reward for drinking alcohol. So what happens is you produce less dopamine when you drink alcohol in the absence or blockage of this hormone. I see. So basically, to get the same kick, you essentially need more alcohol. Yeah. Can't they just give you more ghrelin instead so that you'll be drinking less? And eating more, I guess. Not sure what the uh, medical implications here are, but this was pretty interesting research. And it was actually carried out by the Institute for Neuroscience and Physiology in Gothenburg, Sweden. And it comes out of our favorite journal. If a nuclear war comes, I think this journal should preserve for, like, the aliens that resurrect our society. What a Rosetta Stone of all scientific knowledge, huh? <laughs> Indeed. This journal is, of course... <laughs> the Proceedings. Of the National... Academies... Of Sciences. PNAS. So, Frank, do you consider yourself brave... Well, to be honest, I'm afraid of everything. I still manage to get by, but that's usually because I'm numb to things. You gotta stop shooting yourself with Novocaine every day. Hey, it works, man. Well, so this actually has to do with potential for making artificial hearts. Yeah. Wow, I can finally confront my fears then, huh? Uh, if one particular researcher, uh, Kenneth Chen from the uh, Cardiovascular Research Center at Mass General has his way, he might be able to make it so. Okay, so it's using stem cells? Some exactly. of the exotic technology? Ooh, is there something more exotic than stem cells? I don't know, aliens? Ah, <laughs> uh, that's sort of run the mill nowadays, right? Religion works too, some people claim. <laughs> well, so apparently these researchers, they've um, identified a single progenitor stem cell in human embryonic tissue that gives rise to all the other cells that make up the heart. This progenitor could be grown into a new heart. 
That is one possibility, although it's a little bit of a far-fetched possibility, as these researchers say, because you'd have to control the development very specifically. But these particular cells do give rise to every single cell type that winds up making up the heart. The uh, stem cells that they found express a particular protein called islet 1. Scientists have identified similar cells in mouse hearts, but they didn't find them in humans until just recently. Cool. So is this something that they can also replicate in other organs, or is this something special in particular with the heart? Well, the heart is a very special organ. (laughs) These particular stem cells seem to be very specified for the heart. However, I'm sure researchers are looking into stem cells for other organs as well. Unfortunately, this was not from our very favorite journal, but it was published in a recent edition of the uh, journal Nature. Nature? Wow. (laughs) Don't get too excited, Frank. (laughs) Okay, so here's our animal fact of this week. Oh, the animal fact of the week. Since I've been hungry, um, the thought came to me about seafood. <laughs> I had the blue crabs recently. Blue crabs? Uh, were they spoiled? Uh, no, they're fresh, actually. In fact, it's just this interesting blue-greenish tinge that these crabs have. It's considered a delicacy in certain places. They're like many other crabs, except they have some interesting pigments in their shell. Uh, and what gives rise to these particular pigments? It's actually a derivative of cyanin, which you can imagine is a relative of cyanide, but it's relatively harmless. So what happens is when you boil it, or when you cook it, it usually breaks down and what you left is an orange crab. They are quite beautiful, actually. But somehow I, I thought a bluish tinge uh, have a um, unpalatable connotation. That could uh, be. I mean, uh, uh, it was cooked, of course, so right, maybe if right. it was raw, it might be a little different. It's our animal fact of the week, crabs. Right. Next time we'll talk about crabs in our STD fact of the week. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all for a look at recent developments in the world of science and technology. This is the Grox Science Show. Well, coming up in just a few minutes, Dr. Jeffrey Brantley will join us to discuss five good minutes in your body. So stay tuned. Back to the Grox Science Show. Well, in the hustle and bustle of daily life, it is often difficult to find the time to relax and take care of our bodies. But it is perhaps precisely this type of care that can allow us to cope better with the challenges of the day and enjoy the pleasures of a relaxing evening at home. Well, joins today to discuss this issue is Dr. Jeffrey Brantley. Dr. Brantley is the founder and director of the Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Program at Duke University's Center for Integrative Medicine. He is the author of numerous works on the subjects, including Calming Your Anxious Mind. His newest release, co-authored with Wendy Milstein, entitled Five Good Minutes in Your Body, 100 Mindful Practices to Help You Accept Yourself and Feel Good at Home in Your Body, explores this issue for a general audience. Uh, Dr. Brantley, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Oh, hi, Charles. Happy to be here, and hello to all your listeners, too. Well, it's certainly our pleasure to have you on the program, and I think this is certainly a, an issue that a lot of people are fascinated with. Is Why is it that some of us are just unable to uh, relax after a hard day's work? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, 
I think it has a lot to do with the habits of mind and body. I, I often say that our body is like a good horse. It tries to do what we ask it to do, and, and that includes our mind, too. So if we ask it to work all day and worry about things and fix problems and everything, just because you walk into a different building, like your house, instead of your office, it doesn't mean that your body gets the message, and it keeps doing the program, if you will, that you've been asking it to run all day long. Mm. And so shutting off that program is the big trick. Well, it's uh, it's easier than you might think. We are actually wired, of course, for the fight-or-flight reaction, you know, the stress reaction when there's a threat. But we're also wired with something called the relaxation response, where the body, if, if you know how to give it the signal, it can shut down and relax pretty quickly, actually. And that's what a lot of the ancient practices of meditation are about, and some of the more contemporary practices in mind and body health also point to activating this relaxation response. Mm. You talk in your book about being mindful. What is actually mindfulness? Well, mindfulness uh, refers to something you've already got, and all your listeners do too. Mm. It's a human capacity for awareness in the present moment. It's the knowing of what's happening, not necessarily the thinking about it, but that moment, you know, you step outside and you feel the cool air or the warm sun. In that moment, you just know coolness or warmth or you wake in the middle of the night and you know that your mind is filled with worry about the next day, that capacity to know what's happening in our inner life is what we call mindfulness. We all have it, and yet it can also be cultivated through deliberate practices, which is what we point to in the book. Mm, I see. And, and the book actually details a lot of fascinating, actually, a hundred different practices. Uh, I mean, are there is a common theme to this sort of approach? Well, you know, I think the idea of being mindful is, you know, that we can disentangle ourselves from these uh, early, we were talking earlier about the programs and how the mind gets racing on a project or worried thinking or whatever. The body gets caught up in it. And by being mindful, by dropping into this place of simply noticing what's happening, we disentangle from the identification and from fueling those things. And we also make ourselves available for more conscious presence with whatever's here. So this book actually focuses on working with our own bodies that way, and our other books work with other other situations like relationships or the workplace or, or, or evening at home and so forth. I see. Do most of us sort of ignore what our bodies are telling us? Well, I think that's sad but true. I mean, I know I do it. I'll be sitting there working on my email, you know, and suddenly my neck will start to hurt, and I'll realize I've been sitting there hunched over for half an hour, you know. <laughs> and so we get caught up in these things, and we don't really, and usually our body has to send us a pretty severe signal to get our attention. And uh, it is good to cultivate tuning in more frequently so the signals don't have to be so loud. <laughs> How do we actually cultivate that ability to tune in more to our bodies? Well, again, people have the natural capacity, and it really amounts to, uh, as John Kabat-Zinn, one of our, the founder, really, of mindfulness-based stress reduction, he says mindfulness is about paying attention on purpose in a non-judging and uh, friendly way. So the tuning in means really, like me at the computer there, the email, if I just can remember, you, know, you have to know you can do it and that it's important. And then give yourself some supports and reminders. And just remember to tune in and just notice what's actually happening in the body. 
letting yourself feel the sensations and experience like that. But it's the paying attention on purpose in a non-judging way and doing it really fairly frequently. The more you can do it, the more information you can get. So practice kind of makes perfect in that regard. Yeah, except we don't we shy away from perfect because really just the tuning in and feeling it. You know, like me again, if I had tuned in earlier, I wouldn't have gotten such attention in my shoulders on that one. Mm-hmm. Well, the book again is broken into four different sort of subcategories. I wonder if we maybe go through some of those. Yes. Well, we, the first section is the theme, all the, the different exercises or practices around the theme of simply inhabiting your body. And again, this is this notion of can we inhabit the body, be in our bodies consciously instead of only using our body, but actually feel our body and appreciate the, really the wonderful mystery of all of our senses and our experience. The second theme is about mindful movement. So when the body's moving or you're in uh, around other moving bodies, uh, again, to bring mindfulness, to bring present moment awareness to that. The third uh, theme is called feeding your body's senses. And we, we work here with mindful uh, engagement with food, but also other nutrients and even noticing the toxic input of things like you know certain media or other kind of inputs. And then the fourth section has to do a lot with the attitude or relationship we take with the body. We call it wise body, and it has a lot to do with awareness, kindness, compassion, those kinds of respect and honor for the body, attitudes that we often don't associate really in our culture particularly with being embodied. Mm. So mindful movement, what does that actually involve? Well, you could do it right there if you're, or any of your listeners could do it. If you're sitting still and it's safe to do this, (laughs) uh, just pay attention to your hand and then very gently just let your arm start to rise up. Just lift your arm and hand very slowly. And as your hand, and then when you get up a couple of feet, you could stop. And as you do this, and then just float back down, and just let your hand and arm float up and down, you know, on their own there for a couple of bits. But as you're doing that, let yourself open and just notice the flow of sensations. You might notice the position of your fingers. You might notice a sense of heaviness in the arm. Just letting yourself just notice without judgment the experience of the arm and hand moving up and down. You might even at some point begin to notice the sense of the air as the palm goes down, the palm displacing the air, rising up against coolness or warmth. So the mindful movement is this kind of, and of course you can stop when you're ready, but that's mindful movement. It's paying attention to the actual processes that are happening as you're moving. Noticing it in all of its different situations, you know, it has very much health benefit. If we're moving unsafely or in some way that's damaging, we could, as we begin to be more aware, we might be able to make corrections. And we can also just simply enjoy the miracle and, and the joy of moving. One of the exercises in that section is called kick and grin. And the idea is to, like, you know, lay down on the floor like a baby and start kicking and grinning, and, but yet bring your attention fully into your body and really feel the experience of it and, and enjoy that. Probably why babies are often so happy. <laughs> <laughs> it might be. <laughs> so uh, this is filled with a lot of uh, tips and exercises. What are some of your favorite ones? They vary from the whimsical to the profound. So the kick and grin is kind of in there around the the whimsical in a way. Uh, Another one that's kind of interesting is called Joy of the World. 
That's in the first section. And one of the themes here is that not only are we in our own bodies, but we're part of larger bodies. And so that exercise is if you're out there in a, in a crowd, say you're in a movie theater and people start laughing at stuff, you know, or you're at a party or something, to actually bring your attention back to the moment, back to the joy, feel the joy in your own body, the, the body laughing, the sensations, hear the sounds of people laughing around you, and make a more conscious connection with the actual sort of field or vibration of happiness and joy that's surrounding you. So that's a kind of a fun one to do. Some of the meal ones are pretty interesting. Mindful eating. There's one called bite by bite. And this isn't B-Y-T-E for some of your tech audience <laughs> folks. This is the old-fashioned B-I-T-E. And it really just means paying attention, you know, bite by bite. One of the ways I put that is, you, are you present for your fourth bite of your sandwich, you know? Or are we really there with what's happening while it's happening? And there's a lot of implications from a health point of view of really being that point toward the value of being more mindful as we eat. Mm-hmm. So those are a few of them, the joy to the world, the kick and grin, the bite by bite. Uh, those are just a few of the ones that uh, come to mind. It, it sort of all seems to uh, wrap around feeling your body senses more and more and becoming more in tune with your body. Yes, actually coming, you know, being conscious, knowing what's happening while it's happening. It's a capacity we have. A lot of great athletes, you know, and dancers have more naturally in this way. They're really in tune. But it's something that all of us as human beings could cultivate to a greater degree, I believe. And and this is what our book is kind of pointing to. Final fourth theme, the wise body. Oh, yeah. In a nutshell here is something like, what's your relationship with your body? We live in a culture where so often we're told that our bodies are never good enough. They're not fast enough. They're not pretty enough. They're not strong enough. They're not young enough. And so we develop all sorts of attitudes and a kind of relationship. And in this section, Wise Body, we encourage people to come into the present moment to really pay attention with things that are happening in the body. For example, one of them is called your body, your friend, and it's really just to notice your body and begin to treat it like the good friend it is, the friend that gets you around, and express some appreciation and gratitude to the different parts instead of being caught up in some unconscious self-critical pattern. This is particularly important, and we have several aimed at times when the body is injured or sick to bring kindness and compassion, even forgiveness, to the body when it's in that condition. Because, again, our typical experience is usually to meet our own body's suffering with with, uh, anger and judgment. And we wouldn't necessarily do that with our friend, but we do it to our own body. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's particularly difficult to become more aware of our bodies? Well, you know, I think it's easier than you might think. I mean, again, it starts with sort of being aware. We're aware of the body anyway, but, but to actually make it a high priority, to tune in out of curiosity and kindness, you know, just to notice that you're sitting around, just notice, feel a few breaths, you know, you're running, feel your body moving. So uh, I suggest to people, don't make it something to check off, not a chore, but to really uh, have curiosity for the amazing miracle of this mind-body unit. And, to, and we can experience that from the inside with awareness. That's what the mindfulness enables us to do. Hmm. How important is the sort of meditation as well in this whole process? Well, I have to tell you, I mean, I think what we call the formal practice of meditation, especially some method of practicing mindfulness, is very helpful. Again, typically, if you think back to that first question, why do we 
get so caught up in things, and why is it so hard to relax? One reason is that we are caught up in the, the powerful circuits, if you will, of mind and body. And so when we actually deliberately practice meditation, even for a few minutes, once or twice a day, we're cultivating a different set of circuits, science tells us, but we're also cultivating a different consciousness about what's going on in our mind and body and strengthening our attention and opening our awareness and a number of important things. And all of those features of stable attention and an open awareness and a sense of acceptance for what's happening, all of those elements can greatly enhance any of the practices that we write about in the book. Uh, how did you yourself become interested in this topic? Oh, well, that's a kind of a long story. The short version is I... Uh, learned about meditation as a medical student, and my blood pressure went down. Hmm. So that got my attention. Then when I was a psychiatry resident, I learned about mindfulness meditation, and the, an awareness of my inner world uh, became much more vivid. So that really got my attention. I kept practicing mindfulness for a number of years, and the last uh, you know, 15 or 20 years has been a growth, a big growth of health-related benefits of meditation, and I've been fortunate to be part of that through Duke Integrative Medicine and the mindfulness-based stress reduction work. So I've seen it in my own life, the practice of mindfulness be enormously valuable, but I've also seen it help so many others that that's what kind of led to this writing. Is this sort of a general movement in, in psychiatry to positive psychiatry type of focuses? Well, I think the world of health care, including psychiatry and psychology, is really tuned into mindfulness in a big way right now. And it is related to uh, another uh, area there, what you mentioned, positive psychology, that mm -hmm. people are beginning to recognize that there's a lot of mental health benefits from focusing uh, not just on negative things, but actually on uh, positive things like gratitude and appreciation and and so forth. And the, the meditation side of it is really getting pretty, a lot of exciting research going on about that nowadays. Mm. Well, I'm wondering if you have some uh, maybe final words of advice, how they can become more mindful of their bodies. Well, the main thing is to trust yourself. That you've all, if you notice anything about your body, that's a moment of mindfulness. <laughs> so, <laughs> so just trust yourself, be curious, and be kind, you know, and just make it a, a little practice to start to pay attention on purpose, to notice a little more often just what position your body's in, what sensations are happening. That's the first thing, and then the noticing. And then if you notice that something's happening, something's upset or something's bothered somehow or painful, then let your noticing and your paying attention inform what you do next. might make some interesting discoveries about yourself and your body and your life. Hmm. Well, the new book is called Five Good Minutes in Your Body, 100 Mindful Practices to Help You Accept Yourself and Feel at Home in Your Body. Uh, Dr. Brownlee, I want to thank you very much for joining us on the Grok Science Show. Well, thank you, Charles. It's a pleasure to be with you, and, and good luck, really, to, all, to you and your show and all the listeners. And you were just listening to Dr. Jeffrey Branley discussing five good minutes in your body. This is the Grok's Science Show. Well, coming up in just a few moments, it's the Grokatron 5000 and the world-famous Question of the Week. So stay tuned.
to play the game, the Grokatron 5000. It is our supercomputer formerly known as Deep Blue. Today, the Grokatron 5000 has chosen the topic mindful or mindless. So for the following five people, the Grokatron 5000 would like to know if you think they're mindful or mindless and uh, maybe a little reason why. Dr. Brownlee, you ready to play the game? Already, yeah. Okay, here we go. Person number one, mindful or mindless real estate mogul Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> Hard to say. Maybe quite mindful, but I'm not sure about how compassionate. <laughs> Maybe not mindful of his hairstyle. <laughs> <laughs> well, then there's that. Mindfulness of the body, don't know. <laughs> All right. Person number two is talk show host Oprah Winfrey. Oh, well, I think probably pretty mindful. Pretty mindful. Yeah. yeah. Uh, number three is Bernie Madoff. Oh, well, again, you know, maybe like Trump. Hard to know how mindful of himself or the world around him, really. Yeah, seems kind of inconsiderate of the world, really. <laughs> yep, yep. All right, uh, number four is the golfer Tiger Woods. Oh, it seems like he's very, very attentive and pretty mind, very mindful, I would say. When he's playing golf, anyway. <laughs> uh, all right, and finally, number five, President of the United States, Barack Obama. Well, I've been struck by his his sense of presence that comes across in anything I've seen him on TV attending, you know. So I would say he's he appears to be quite mindful. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Dr. Brownlee, I want to thank you for uh, sticking around playing the game and, of course, talking about your book, which, again, is called Five Good Minutes in Your Body, 100 Mindful Practices to Help Accept Yourself and Feel at Home in Your Body. Uh, again, thank you very much for your time. You're welcome, Charles. Best of luck. Bye-bye. All right, and now it's time for this week's Question of the Week, and our special guest here is Scotty. Hey, Scotty, so what's the frequency? Oh, that's right, Kenneth. I can only help you, Cap. We're having some problems down here in the transporter room. Uh, I, I need full power right now, dude. I can only give you a full power. I'm trying to get somebody back who's been really aliased because I don't really have the Nyquist frequency because it's twice the frequency which I need to reconstruct a person. I know I can take it. All right, we'll, we'll send in Spock to help you out. That's the frequency, Kenneth. <laughs> All right, thanks, Scotty. Aye, aye, Captain. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.